Yeah, man. Her name is Melanie. Hey, this is Roberto. You are back with another Steambox podcast. Today is episode one of season 2022. I'm with my Central Falls Warriors. Central Falls Warriors, please say what's up to the world. What's up? Now, you know we don't play games. I know we got, uh, we have the principal of your school coming up on the podcast. We have uh, Senator Tiara Mack, who was in a controversy because she was twerking. So people are like, oh, this black girl's twerking. She can't be a serious senator. So she's going to come on and talk to us about what it's like to twerk and live a real life and be a senator. But we don't play. We're starting the season correctly with Stephen Kostansky, the director of movies like The Void, Manborg, and one of my personal favorites, Psycho Gorman. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be on the show. I'm so excited that, man, I have these movies, right? Like Big Trouble in Little China and The Last Dragon that are these, like, um, they become these cult classics. And I know everybody wants to be Steven Spielberg and have the $1 billion movie franchise, but it's those cult classics that I keep going back to and watch and love. Do you resent that? Or are you uh, comfortable knowing that you've created something that's beloved by this, like, subculture of movies? I, I mean, the only part of it that I resent is I wish that cult indie filmmaking paid millions and millions of dollars because uh, it I'll be straight up. It's like not the easiest life trying to juggle working in prosthetics and making movies at the same time. Uh, but I just have this insane uh, desire to be creative and tell stories and make wacky movies. So I you know, I make do with what I, what I got. And uh, yeah, I mean, I really idolize filmmakers like Don Coscarelli who did the Phantasm movies and Bubba Hotep. I feel like he has, he's flirted with big budget filmmaking, but he always seems to go back to kind of small homegrown stuff. And I find that infinitely more charming and just has a lot more heart and personality to it. So, I mean, if this is uh what the rest of my filmmaking career is like if I get to just make stuff in my basement and uh shoot movies with my friends and it brings a little bit of joy to a smaller audience I'm totally content with that because it's all about having fun in my opinion yeah I I would agree I I'm so happy to go to work every single day because I love what I do here's a little secret uh, my girlfriend put me on to Phantasm and I watched Psycho Gorman in my life before I ever watched Phantasm 1, 2, Weird. and 3. I know. It's just, uh, it's just the order of how I got around to things. And one more, uh, one more little weird tidbit before I get over to Vanessa and some of my students for questions. Uh, you and I just missed each other because I was supposed to uh, speak about the educational work that I'm doing at South by Southwest when the world burned down and went crazy yep. a couple years ago. And I just read today that you were due to be at that same South by And I, of course, would have been at the panel and dying to me. Yep, that was uh, exactly when PG was supposed to premiere. It was going to play, it was like March 13th, uh, 2020. And yeah, that was basically the day the world shut down. I, and I got the call like the week before from my manager being like, uh, we got some unfortunate news. South by Southwest is canceled. Uh, so you may want to cancel your flights. Uh, my girlfriend and I didn't cancel our flights. We ended up going anyway, uh, kind of out of defiance. And it was in that early stage where you thought that like everybody was like, oh, it's just a cold or whatever. This is fine. 
And I remember being in Austin and like people were starting to hoard toilet paper and stuff and being like, oh, this was a terrible idea. Let's go back home. And so we hopped on a plane and came back to Toronto as quickly as we could. But you were flying during the zero hour. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of the worst time to be going on a trip. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm bummed that we didn't get like a big premiere. I feel like this is a movie made for a theater and for a theater audience. So that was a real letdown, especially after all that hard work. Like it was a good year and a half in the making at least. But uh, I mean, it's found its audience and maybe I'll get to sit in the theater and watch it with people someday. Uh, but yeah, it's just the way it's shaked out. I, you can't plan your movies around the world collapsing. It's, it's an insane time that we're living in. Uh, Vanessa, what's your question for Steven? Okay, hi. Yeah, um, my question is that what, like, inspired you to do, like, to make the sword that Psycho Gorman used in the scene where he, like... He's, like, fighting that white girl? Taking yes. the, the bones out. Yeah, what inspired you to, like, make it out of... Out of the bone sword, yeah. Yeah, out of people. Steven... Uh, Stephen, if you could, sorry. Uh, being that it's a podcast, I know we've got video. Uh, our audience at home, uh, some of them might not have seen it. Can you give us also a quick descriptor of what she's talking about? Somebody made a bone sword? What is, what is she talking yeah, about? Yeah, so at one point during the climax of the movie, PG is fighting his nemesis, uh, Pandora, who is uh, this like robot lady. And she's got a sword and he doesn't. And so he rips a bunch of her bones and organs out and fashions a sword out of them. Uh, it's a very cartoony sequence. And uh, as we were shooting it, people were like, what is going on? This is, it, it happens a lot on my movies where I'm like scrambling around getting these shots and the rest of the crew's kind of like, what are we even making at this point? Like, none of this makes sense. But uh, it's a very like anime logic idea to me. Uh, like, I feel like something like that would happen in, like, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, maybe. But uh, it actually was an idea left over from a short film idea I had years and years back. Because uh, I just, I love the idea of somebody, like, ripping pieces out of someone to make a weapon to then kill them with. Uh, so, yeah, just one of the many weird ideas in that movie that was like essentially sitting on the shelf with a bunch of other weird ideas that I didn't know what to do with. And uh, the benefit of PG's kind of simple story is that it offers up such a like broad universe that I was able to pull things like that and, and slot them into the movie. And it's almost like the less sense it made, the more it worked. So, yeah. Insane. It looked like he used their eyeball and everything. You referenced uh, you referenced JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It, is anime um, is anime an influence on you? Are you an anime guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm like an expert by any stretch. Uh, I mean, I like all the obvious things like uh, Kira, Ninja Scroll. Uh, I believe there's some stuff in Ninja Scroll I like pulled as visual reference uh, for some of the fights in PG as well. Uh, yeah, like Giver. Um, there's a bunch of like OVAs that I really like. There's one called MD Geist. Uh, that's pretty fun. Uh, my girlfriend got me hooked on uh, Evangelion, which is pretty crazy and depressing. Uh, so yeah, it's like 
something it definitely mixes into all of my influences i'm i'm not an expert by any stretch of anime and like i don't really keep up with it i just kind of watch random stuff that looks interesting to me um, it, had not, it had not occurred to me but uh after you mentioned diver it makes so much sense some like i could see some of the either influence or or like random similarities you know what i mean to something like guyver well specifically the film guyver 2 dark hero uh was a movie that i rented as a kid uh or actually more specifically my mom rented it because you know it had that cool guyver suit on the cover and i think she thought it was like a power rangers kind of thing and she i guess neglected to notice the r rating on the box and so i watched that movie at way too young an age and uh, yeah, I was mesmerized by it because it's like a hyper-violent Power Rangers, which was what? definitely a jumping off point for PG for me. It was like, I want to make something in the vein of that movie where it's like fun, colorful characters with like weird mythologies and backstories, but they're like punching each other and ripping each other's heads off and blood's going everywhere. And feel like, I didn't feel like any kind of media was really capitalizing on that style so i wanted to jump on it what did you go ahead what did you want to yeah add? um talking about power years me and uh eli we were talking about uh how it kind of gives that feeling of power rangers like the movie has like that i don't know how to say it but like the action and how they they move and everything i also feel like it has uh some bad beetleboards to it oh it's yeah like, bad beetleboards yeah old tv definitely show. well i mean I feel like Japanese cinema and TV uh, is a big influence on me, but also like North America's reinterpretation of that media with something like Power Rangers, where they like took pieces from the original Super Sentai show, like took the action and all the like cool expensive looking stuff and just mashed it with like teen drama and we're like, well, we need to, like, make this palatable to, like, North American kids. And so the way that those two things kind of butt heads is fun to me. Like, I love uh, kind of misinterpretations of stuff and, like, the way, like, like media companies in North America, like, misinterpret uh, other cultures, cinema and media. And so that that was something that definitely like had a hand in shaping what PG is because it definitely has like a like North American, like nineties family movie vibe that is mashed with uh, more like Japanese influence uh, movies, anime and TV. And uh, the juxtaposition of those two things is really interesting to me. I've never had the opportunity that you just had where you watched the movie and you were like, yo, I see some big bad Beetleborg in there. And then the next day you asked the director and the director's like, yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> that's, that's pretty dope. Uh, Kim, what's your question? And you can ask too, because you've got Chloe's question. Chloe can't be with us though. Yeah. So um, I was wondering, since like, if you weren't to be a director making prosthetics, what would you have been doing? Like, did you plan on when you were growing up doing this or I don't know how to word it. Uh, I mean, as a kid growing up, I, like, it took a while for me to, like, hone in on filmmaking. I didn't really know what I wanted to do other than, like, I liked being creative and I like making stuff. Uh, I would try to build robots 
uh, when I was really young. And uh, like I'd build it, like I'd dismantle like pens and like old computers and stuff and like mash them together. And they're really just glorified art pieces. Uh, but I think in doing stuff like that, I, I love like making dioramas in school. Like anytime there was a visual project that I could do where it's like, you need to make a diorama for this thing. I just went totally nuts and was making little figures and things. I remember uh, anytime we had to make a display for like a book we'd read, I would, I would find the loophole of, because they'd let you choose kind of whatever book you wanted. So I'd always buy books based off of video games I liked and then use that as an excuse to make like a Mortal Kombat diorama. And so I remember in like elementary school making, I made like the pit for Mortal Kombat. So it was like Scorpion and Sub-Zero fighting on top. And then there was like spikes on the bottom and like bodies sticking out of it. Uh, so that kind of stuff at the time, I didn't realize it, but all of that was sort of slowly sending me on this path of uh, like creature effects and filmmaking. Uh, and yeah, I think it was, it was around like my early teens, I think it was like 13. Uh, I watched the movie Army of Darkness and I watched the making of for Army of Darkness and I saw the like, the shop that came the effects studio where they were building all the creatures for that movie. And I saw that it was just like a bunch of dudes in heavy metal shirts, like messing around making stuff. And it really clicked for me watching that. Cause I was like, Oh, like they're kind of doing what I'm doing, but they're doing it for like these big Hollywood movies, which in my mind, army of darkness was a big Hollywood movie. Uh, so yeah, I think it was in my early teens, I realized, like, oh, like, filmmaking is where I can put all these, like, artistic passions that I have together and make something, basically make a product that I can show people in the way that I would make these dioramas when I was a kid. So, yeah, it, uh, it took a while, but in my, like, mid-teens, I think it all solidified. When I should also mention, I, like, started in stop motion. I didn't start with, like, actual filmmaking. Uh, yeah as you know it logically was the next step step up from doing a diorama it's like well why don't i bring the diorama to life and animate the figures in it and so i would do these super eight animations where i'd have to get it was like 50 bucks or something like a five minute film reel and i'd use this old super eight camera and go frame by frame and like animate the figures and then i'd have to mail the reel away to get developed and then i'd get the film back you know, have to set up a projector to watch what I'd animated. And so throughout uh, like junior high and high school, that's what I was doing. And then that transitioned into doing it digitally. Uh, so I started using a digital camera and then importing onto the computer and I could like mess around with the frames a little more precisely. And around that time I started merging that animation with live action. So I'd do animated characters interacting with like my friends in a scene. Uh, and so that was where I started integrating like visual effects, like compositing and stuff. And uh, yeah, that just became my style going forward was just like, how much stuff can I cram into a frame as possible? How many monsters and aliens and things and how like how like visually stimulating can I make my movies? So that director, the director that he just mentioned is Sam Raimi who uh, re most recently made um, Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And he did some of those same techniques. 
And those are some of the things that Stephen and I saw in theaters when we were younger. Those are projects that Steambox is going to be working on with you guys in, I think, January in our anime program. And those are the kind of things that you can spin off into your passions. And Stephen's making a career out of it. Sam Raimi's made a smaller but a career out of it. Um, <laughs> uh, think, I'm going to come back to you for Chloe's question in a little bit. Uh, I appreciate I have a million follow-up questions, but I don't think it's fair to my students if I just ask through so many at you. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I would, Robert, do you still play like, Mortal Kombat at all? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not very good at the newer Mortal Kombats. I've been trying to actually figure it out. Like MK11 uh, is way more complex than what it was like in 1993 uh, when I got the first Mortal Kombat. I remember my dad would uh, bootleg PC games for me. Uh, cause I guess he had some friend at work that would get him games on like these like unlabeled floppy disks and he'd bring them home. And I, I still remember it's like one of those memories that I have just kind of like sitting in the back of my head of, uh, coming home from school and my dad sitting at our old huge desktop computer back in like 1993 and him being like, Steve, come over here, check this out. And he like booted up this program. And I just remember the title screen for Mortal Kombat coming up on the computer and like a big music sting hitting and seeing that and then hearing my mom in the background being like, Michael, why did you get him that? That's too violent. And just being like so excited of like, oh my God, I have Mortal Kombat and I have it at home and I can play it whenever I want. So yeah. I used to obsessively play it. I don't really have time to obsessively play it anymore. Uh, I was playing MK Trilogy not that long ago on my N64 because I occasionally bust that. So yeah. The more recent ones have licensed characters like RoboCop and Jason Voorhees. I mean, it'd, it'd yep. be we want to see Psycho Gorman in Mortal Kombat. So that would be sweet. I have been playing with Spawn in MK11. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's like cool. a weird fantasy that they're acting out, and it's crazy that all these characters like they can't get can get a new Jason movie off the ground or a new Freddy movie off the ground, but we can play Mortal Kombat and have them fight each other whenever we want. It's Maybe weird not. time we're in for intellectual property. What was your favorite Mortal Kombat character? Because I've been a fan since like I was three. I played Deception on the GameCube. It was oh nice. <sighs> I mean, back in the MK4 days, I was a big Quan Chi head. Uh, I mean, I was like in the like one, two, one and two. I was probably Scorpion. Three, I was never very good at. That's when I got like a little hardcore. And so, I don't know, I, I would lean towards Cabal, probably. And then in the modern ones, there's a Sindel I was using a lot. She was fast. I like one of characters fast and has, like, a teleport move that's un basically unblockable because it just makes it easy for me. So, yeah. <laughs> Not the most, like, advanced uh, kind of like, play mechanics, but, yeah. Yeah, PG was ripping people's spines out. Like real early in the movie in the warehouse. Did you have a, a, a non Mortal Kombat question? Well, it kind of ties into it because I was gonna, he mentioned video games like he you, does it while he's procrastinating uh, before the podcast. I was just gonna ask to start off what was his favorite video game and what's the one that he's currently playing a lot of? Uh, my my all time favorite is Doom. Uh, and if my goal in life is to make a Doom movie because I feel like that's what I was born to make. Uh, and as far as what I'm playing right now, uh, there's a Fist of the North Star game from a few years back that I got like about a month ago. And I'm just sort of 
casually playing that here and there. I wanted to play like a horror game for Halloween, uh, but I just never got around to it. Uh, and then occasionally I'll do a round of Dead by Daylight. Uh, just fun because nobody really does Friday the 13th anymore, it seems. So Dead by Daylight seems to be where it's at. When Friday the 13th first came out, man, it had community and people were playing together and in the same party. But now people are siloed and there'll just be three people waiting in the closet while a handful of other people are trying to do, you know. Yeah, things. like you, you can still do private matches, right? Where if you have a certain number of friends ready to go, you can play it. So, like, I'll do that occasionally. But, uh, yeah, I miss the good old days when it was just the Wild West and it was a complete free-for-all and you could find a match, like, instantly. Uh, and I like that it just rejuvenated people's interest in Friday the 13th because it was so obsessively detailed with the mythology. Like, I really appreciated that, like, the the amount of detail put into it uh, in terms of, like, all the Jasons, all the characters and stuff and all the little, like, Easter eggs. So, yeah, I miss that game. All that detail went into the game, but not the licensing. They, they skipped out some detail on the licensing, apparently. They yeah. even, uh, what's it, Tom Savini? Is it, am I saying that right? Yeah, he, yeah, Savini designed that, like, held Jason, and really Kane Hodder did all the motion capture for it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I will say I'm excited for that new uh, Texas Chainsaw game. I think that that might be the new Friday the 13th because what I've read about it, it sounds pretty fun and similar in that it's very obsessed with the details of that mythology. And uh, I don't know. I just like the idea of running around as a leatherface. seems like. Well, be before I get into your, before I get into your question, I want to point out for our audience who, uh, who can't see this, that uh, he, he didn't flex as the hardest with the DeLoreans, but he's coming in second place with flex with all time flex because in the background, he's got uh, so many of the prosthetics and so many of the, uh, the little SFX uh, devices that he used. He showed us a couple. One was hanging out on the green screen in the back that he was using for stop motion. Who's that guy? Who's that guy? This guy was in PG. This was uh, the little helper buddy in the council that floats in. Uh, we, we, um, and you can, by the way, feel free to ask us questions at any time too, if you wanted to know anything about your test audience and how they felt, but I can tell you that they reacted, uh, strongly when one of the characters from the council covered fishbowl head, they covered him. <laughs> yeah, you, man. Yeah. I mean that those three days of shooting those council scenes is like, that's what I want every day of my life to be where I walk into a big room where there's just like 10 aliens sitting around a table and I just make up funny stuff for them to do all day. Um, awesome. The guy that played uh, Cortex, the like kind of chatty jerk alien, uh, that's Matt Kennedy who played Manborg and is a longtime collaborator of mine from Astron 6. And so he's the kind of guy you could just like hit record and he'll just give you like gold like every take just so much insane hilarious material and so it was those are some of the most fun days for sure yeah. it was just like, visually insane and then also the things that cortex was saying were completely insane and unhinged so yeah it was super fun uh go ahead ask your question well my question is are you do you plan on making a sequel to the pg movie i would love to uh what i've been telling a lot of people to ask that question because I get that question quite a bit uh, is right now it's more just an issue of me 
standing my ground on getting more money for the next one. Cause like the first one I called in like all the favors I had to get that made. And it, on top of that, it was a lot of like me really like grinding hard to build all this stuff. Cause we didn't have a lot of money. It was a very low budget film and certainly a movie that like on paper, like you would look at it and go like, there's no way you can do, you, there's no way you can make this much movie for $850,000 Canadian. And so yeah, as far as a sequel goes right now, it's just the standoff of like, I'd love to do it, but I'd love to do it for enough money that I can pay people what they're worth and do it properly. And I don't want to compromise on that because I don't think it's fair uh, to the team uh, that was involved in the first movie because I feel like they invested their time in the project and I'd like to reward them with uh, you know, a fun experience where they can also pay their bills. So, let us yeah. know. Let us know who to write letters to. Uh, I'm getting the uh, I'm getting the the eight minute warning sign up, so I'm going to go a little faster. Uh, what's your question for Stephen? My one question would be, uh, who made PG's like outfit, or was it like CGI purely? Was PG like? Is this the costumes? Yes. Yeah. Who made the costumes? Yeah. Oh, that was all practical, and uh, I sculpted most of him. Or actually, I think all the the sculpting of all the suit was me uh like the cowl like basically from like the shoulders up was like just a full head bust that i sculpted uh and then i did like a front and back piece for his chest and back i have a technique for making creature suits uh where it's a lot of like kind of generic skin textures that are sculpted flat molded flat so i they're basically just like pieces that you can wrap onto like a bodysuit. You just spray some uh, like adhesive, wrap these pieces around. And uh, it's a quick way to get to a suit without having to sculpt like an entire creature suit, like top to bottom. And so that's what we did with PG. Uh, and I sculpted most of it. I painted all the PG suits. Um, Cause yeah, he was like the featured character and we had his body cast and head cast first. So I was able to get a jump on that before all the other stuff. So everybody else in the shop was working on other things and I was just focused on. Uh, were, you, were you writing music too? Did you, uh, because you're the heckin' best or I'm the heckin' best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's literally in my playlist. I mean, how, it's, how uh, I, it was not in the script. I believe I just had like a line that said, something to the effect of like Mimi sings an obnoxious song and uh our composers uh the group known as Blitz Berlin uh they basically took those beats and came up with songs to go with them so they would throw ideas at me we would chat back and forth uh I have a very like collaborative relationship with them like they read the script way in advance and like I basically brought them on board before the movie was even like financed or locked in and so they were giving me stuff very early. And uh, so, yeah, it was very much a collaborative thing where I was like, I want to have this kind of flavor to it. What, what can you guys do? And they really uh, clicked in with the 90s vibe of the whole thing. Uh, and, you know, even provided that amazing rap song at the end, which I feel like is the best part of the movie, in my opinion. I, I love that song so much. They, they nailed it. I felt like... Uh... I felt like that that first one was so Mimi, right? Like I felt like it was so okay. true to character. Uh, that was great. What's your question for Steven? Um, what are some steps you took to become a director? Uh, shooting movies in my parents' garage was 
probably the first step. Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually get this kind of question a lot where people are like, how do you get to directing movies? And the answer is just start directing movies. So whether it's you and your friends or like doing a stop motion thing in the corner of like your room or whatever, like just going out and doing it is is how you make that career happen. Uh, I find a lot of people ask me like, well, like what are, like what's, where do I go to school for this? And it really is, I've learned now that I've done it a bunch that it's just an experience job. It's a job where you need to be able to go on to set, be presented with a bunch of problems and then have solutions for problems. Like that's really what directing is, is you show up and you find out, uh, Oh, our actor that's supposed to play this character, uh, he's he had to go home because he like pulled over on the side of the road and started puking, and so we're worried he has COVID. So we had to recast him. Here are your options to recast. You have five minutes to decide, and then we have to drive that person in. Like that kind of scenario that like makes like you know is like just a stress bomb is what directing is as a job and so to get to that you have to just start doing it even if it's the most simplest basic way possible take your phone and your friends write a little script shoot a thing give them direction and just build on that and keep doing it i tell people that all the time when they ask about podcasting i'm like you just got to do it Preferably find something that you love, talk about something that you love with people that you like to talk about things to uh, and just go. That seems to be the trend. That seems to be what works. Uh, I'm sorry that I'm kicking it up. I've just got the limited time on this podcast. What's your question? Um, my question was, um, how did you recruit all your actors and like get them? Uh, I mean, we put out a casting call. That's uh, typically how these things shake out is you uh, talk to a casting agent who then uh, puts out basically like a email blast of like we need you know girl of this age with these skills like what do you got for us and it can just be people off the street submitting self-tapes it can be other casting agents submitting their clients uh yeah, so it was a process of just watching like hundreds and hundreds of self-tapes of these young actors on PG and uh, just trying to whittle it down to the right one. Like you watch the tapes, you pick ones you like, then you do in-person auditions where they come in and you see them face-to-face and you give them direction. You kind of see how the chemistry is just there uh, as far as like directing the person like face-to-face. Uh, and then you whittle your list down even more and then hopefully you land on the perfect person. So yeah, that's usually how casting goes. I, I, you know, I find a lot of directors like me, like indie directors, they'll find people they like and they'll just stick with them all the time. I mean, I'm always casting the guys from Astron Six. Uh, so Matt, Connor, and Adam are usually in my movies somewhere because they're reliable and I've worked with them and I know that they're good and they'll be funny. Uh, so I think that is... Uh, that's usually something I call upon with every movie I make is like, I, I set aside roles for people that I already know can play the part. Uh, and even with PG, with the dad, Greg, like I wrote that part for Adam specifically, because I was like, I want him to play this part. 
I know he'd be good in it. As I was writing it, I was imagining him doing all the stuff. So he definitely having an existing relationship with him informed uh, how I wrote the character. Uh, so, yeah. Stephen, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna ask you three yes no questions, um, and I want to apologize. I hope it's not coming off as rude as it is in my head watching that t- watching that ticker uh, click down okay. because Zoom is being crazy to me right now. Uh, but number one, uh, is Mimi a villain? <laughs> Mimi was a psycho to us. Uh, I mean, she seems like a pretty normal human being to me. I think we're all psychos, and that's just. Uh, She's just a realistic depiction of a child in my eyes. I think that is fair. Uh, I was asked uh, by a friend of mine who also watched the movie about the depiction of dim-witted buffoon cops because uh, uh, we've had a lot of difficulty with cops. Uh, so we looked at them and was like, yeah, F the, F the police. Uh, did, did, were they intended? Was that an allegory for police officers? I mean... I love buffoon cop characters. <clears throat> I uh, there, There's two buffoon cops in Halloween 5 that I think are super funny. Definitely am leaning in the direction of cops are generally buffoons uh, with my presentation of them in this film. And uh, I don't think that's wholly inaccurate. Left at us. Uh, you were telling us about uh, Crazy Ball. Crazy Ball is a game in Psycho Gorman, where Mimi has invented, uh, I don't know how many steps are in the rules, uh, but I wanted to ask you, number one, if you have those steps actually written out, does this does the mechanics of the game actually exist beyond fiction? And number two, has anybody tried to recreate Crazy Ball? There are rules written down somewhere. I know, because I've been asked, like, by the producers and distributors like oh you should probably like make those rules for us in case somebody asks and so i know i wrote them down and they're somewhere i just i'm a bit of scatterbrain so they're probably on a hard drive buried but there are rules there are official rules for crazy ball and uh yeah i believe i've seen on instagram at some point uh videos of people trying to play it and uh doesn't look like a ton of fun because it looks like complete chaos, but it was, game, it was a game created like entirely to serve a plot purpose in the movie. And uh, I don't know if any of you kids have ever read the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, but uh, it's very much inspired by uh, the kid, the main kid Calvin uh, created his own uh, kind of game called Calvin Ball in it. That's similarly nonsensical. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't pick up on that. Uh, I didn't pick up on that at all. Keith, uh, Keith, hi. What's up? Welcome to the podcast, Keith. Yeah. Keith, what's your question for Stephen Costanza? The term hunky boys, like, did you just think of that just off the top of your head or was that like something you've seen or? Yeah, it was totally like an off the cuff thing that just just popped in there. I don't have like an elaborate, cool backstory for how I landed on it. I just thought it was a funny thing for a monster man to say in the moment. And uh, has now turned into the whole iconography of this movie. So yeah, that's just, that's how it happens. Stuff, stuff you don't think anybody's going to latch onto becomes the most famous part of your story. So, yeah. There's hunky boys. There's an inside out police officer who hands uh, Mimi a love letter that says, please kill me. 
Uh, there's a character turned into a brain. There's a brain in a jar character. Did they uh, not pay attention? Like, did the parents not pay attention to their child after he was turned into a brain? Oh, yeah. What's, what's <laughs> So the brain goes home. The, yeah. For our audience, uh, the, one of the we, please, Stephen, tell, tell our audience about this br- character turning into a brain. Uh, well, it's this kid, Alistair, who uh, PG turns into a brain, and then he just stays a brain presumably for the rest of his life uh, because at the end of the movie, we see him at home uh, having dinner with his family and they don't really acknowledge that he's a brain. I mean, that to me is the sign of really supportive parents who uh, just accept their kid for who he is. So there you go. My my friend Steve insists, Stu Barnes insists that in your future movies, Alistair comes back as part of your continued metaverse. Oh, yeah. Alistair again, uh, maybe with a goatee or something to indicate age. Oh, yeah. He'll return in some form. I like the idea of him having, like, like a big robot body with his little brain, like, his brain sticking out the top. Uh, or maybe, yeah, he is in some kind of mobile unit, like a tank or something from uh, Eliminators. We'll see. But he'll come back. I'm a big fan of pulling uh, characters from my older stuff and dropping them into new movies for no reason at all. That's why Biocops in PG. Uh, tell, us, tell us who we have to write a letter to so that we can get PG too. Uh, you had a follow-up. Yeah, I was wondering, why don't you make like a, a YouTube short or something uh, about uh, Hunky Boy, about him like being we want hun- more hunky boy more content. hunky boy action some yeah. more, more, more hunky content i mean there has been a bunch of like shorts relating to the movie that have come out like the music video that we did that rap video uh there's like fake commercials uh like fake mcdonald's style commercials for a bunch of merch for pg there's a japanese toy commercial that we did uh and just yesterday i put out uh, merchandise commercial. It's kind of done in the style of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, that's I think it's about like three minutes, and it's uh, Connor pitching uh, all the various uh, crummy merch that we have for PG, and also having a bit of an emotional breakdown at the end of it. So I recommend checking that out. You can see it uh, on the PG Instagram page. So yeah, we, there is uh, random PG content that pops up occasionally. It's hard to justify because it's not exactly like rewarding in a monetary sense. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll keep churning things out randomly here and there uh, before we move on to either a movie or animated series. We are looking forward to it. I'm going to go back to Cam for Chloe's question in a second, uh, but I wanted to let you know, uh, normally I come back to um, our guests at the end and I ask them who they want to give shout outs to. Uh, and probably more importantly, where can our audience who might not have had a chance to see your work, where should they go? So I'm going to pivot to you after the next question uh, and ask you that kind of thing so that, so that you can tell us where to find your stuff. Uh, go ahead. You can, and I don't honestly care if you ask Chloe's question. She didn't make it here. So you can ask yours or Chloe's. Ask us whichever one is more important to you. Um, this is actually kind of random, but like, where did you film your movies? Like just in Toronto where you're located in Toronto, right? Yes. Uh, so PG was shot in St. Catharines, which is, uh, pretty close to like Niagara Falls. Uh, it's like West of Toronto. It's like an hour and a half drive. 
Uh, it's a fairly untapped town for filming. Uh, a big thing you're always keeping track of as an indie filmmaker is like what towns aren't familiar with the process of filming and more specifically who hasn't been either burned by another indie production or is aware that there's big money in renting out your places to film productions. Uh, so St. Catharines was definitely untapped in that regard. And so our producers lived there. So we used their houses uh, for that. Uh, like as like shooting location also is base camp for production. And then we shot in and around St. Catharines uh, for the most part. And then there was a bunch of inserts and stuff I did up at the shop here back in Toronto. Um, so that was PG. Uh, some of my other films were shot in Winnipeg, which is where I'm from originally. Uh, Manboard was mostly shot in my parents' garage uh, on a green screen. And uh, Father's Day was shot in and around Winnipeg and Kenora. Um, so yeah, and The Void was shot in Sault Ste. Marie, which is another case of uh, kind of small town out in the middle of nowhere that uh, didn't know how cheap we were being uh, with our production until it was too late. So, yeah. Steven, I'm taking this group to Studio Ghibli in April to learn animation. Uh, this will be our third trip there. This group's first trip. And I am telling you, if, uh, if you're shooting again in Toronto and we're going to do an on-location uh, podcast, just say the word, bro, and I will, I will get a van and we can go the eight hours and do an in-person. Uh, would you guys be down for that? We'd, yeah. Yeah. We'd have to go to Niagara Falls, unfortunately. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you guys want to come and do a podcast and, oh, I don't know, work as unpaid PAs for a day or two, uh, that would also be awesome. That would be I, awesome for me. I would call you out of school. There we oh, go. That, yeah, such an easy selling point. Get out of school work. <laughs> so is it it's it's kill kostansky right that's where uh yes. that's where i connected with you on instagram yeah uh, where else can our audience go and check out like they're like some of our audience right now has not heard of psycho gorman because it's a slow burn it's getting out there it's relatively new where can we go and find psycho gorman some of the other work what should we check out uh the best place to check out pg right now is on shutter uh the horror streaming service uh, you can also get the Blu-ray uh, through either RLJ in the U.S. or I would recommend ordering the Super Special Edition, Hunky Boy Edition uh, mm. Blu-ray uh, from Raven Banner, uh, who's the Canadian distributor. And uh, that's like the best version of the movie you can get. What are we getting on the Super Edition that, that I haven't already seen? Uh, there's... An, Things there's even another super edition on top of that one that comes with an action figure uh, that was just released recently. So if you want to, uh, things like ravenbanner.com or something, you can order it uh, from there. Uh, so those are kind of the two main places to watch PG. I heard The Void is on Netflix, but I don't really know. This is the fun thing about making indie movies is that your movies get sold and then you don't really know what happens to them after a while and uh people will just come to you and be like hey you're i saw manborg on amazon it's like oh cool nobody emailed me about that but good to know uh so i think i think manborg is on amazon and father's day uh is through trauma i would recommend just torrenting that one and not giving them your money uh honestly i 
if you want to just torrent these things, I won't be offended. Like, it's it's fine. He's, I love I love the director saying, eh, if you want to go bootleg my movies, just go and bootleg my movies. <laughs> just find them and watch them. Yeah, that's the important part. Like, that's just this the culture we live in now. I mean, I torrent stuff. I have no shame about it. So, yeah. I'm going to have to teach my students about torrenting after this. <laughs> Uh, which I have no problem doing. Uh, yeah, and next time you're next time you're around Rhode Island, uh, stop by and see our arcade cabinet. Do you have any shout outs that you want to give before we go? This girlfriend of yours seems like a big influence. Uh, yeah, Lisa's pretty awesome. She's uh, upstairs working right now. Uh, actually, she has a Instagram page where she sells pins, patches, and buttons. Uh, it's Studio Marimo. Uh, it's called, and uh, I believe there's a BioCop pin on there that you can get. There's also an Alistair patch. Uh, so, yeah. But I'm just pulling it up right now just to make sure I have the name right. Can you spell that? Studio Marimo? Yeah, it's Studio underscore Marimo M-A-R-I-M-O uh, So if you go there uh, on Instagram, she's got all sorts of uh, like cute cat pins and things as well. Um, a Zardoz pin, like lots of weird, obscure video game stuff. Uh, so yeah, check it out. I need a pin of uh, Fishbowl Head. I need a pin of Fish... Uh, Tube Man? I feel like there's a patch somewhere. There's, there's some kind of merch for him coming. I need an Alistair hat. Like the brain <laughs> Alistair hat. We want merch! We want- yeah, but there, there is a brain Alistair patch on uh, Lisa's page. Uh, if you go, go to Studio Marimo. Yeah. It's uh, right there. Oh, don't. Yeah, I need. Yeah, we all need that. Uh, we're gonna go and find that. Uh, thank you, Stephen, uh, so much for joining us, kicking off our season. Um, to our audience at home, we are back with Senator Tiara Mack, the twerking senator. Uh, we're gonna have the twerking senator on in uh, in in a week and a half from now. Uh, Stephen Kostansky, director of The Void, Manborg, and uh, one of my personal favorites, Psycho Gorman. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to mentor and share some of your gifts with our students. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was great chatting with you guys. All right. From the Central Falls Warriors to the world, everybody please say peace out. Bye. 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 Bye.